So before we look at some scripture together, I was quite um, where's Graham? Well, there you are. I was I was quite impacted by the word that Graham brought a little bit earlier. I think it was you, Graham, wasn't it? About eagles. Was it was you? Um, and I've heard a whole preach some years ago about how um, parent eagles get their young to fly. And uh, it is quite traumatic, I guess, isn't it? Just sort of lobbing them out of a nest. And down they go. But that's the way they learn. And uh, you brought it out excellently in terms of how, how that is with God very often with us, in terms of you know, pushing us out. And it's as we go, it's, it's as we're out of the nest, that then we learn new skills, or we find that God meets our needs, or we find the Holy Spirit comes. It was only when Peter got on the water he found he could walk on it, wasn't it? And uh, I was just reminded as, as Graham shared that of the things we've been talking about over recent weeks in terms of change. It's, uh, it's interesting, Matt preached a few weeks ago about preparing for change and how we respond to it. And it was only after he'd done that that uh, I sat down I uh, had a sort of quarter of an hour spare and I decided to type up some notes I'd, I'd made from a previous uh, day away where I'd just spent some time praying and being with God. And uh, it seemed that much of what I'd made some notes on and hadn't yet got around to typing up was what Matt was talking about as he, pre- as he preached. So I really felt that God was in that. And I feel too that, you know, the word that Graham brought a little bit earlier ties in with that. Because it's as... You know, God does stuff in us and through us and with us. We feel like we're out of a nest, don't we? We feel, hey, where's my comfort zone now? Suddenly this, this nest that I'm used to, everything around me has changed and what's going on? But it's in that situation that we find that God sustains us and God meets us. And so I didn't want to lose that just as, we, as it was brought during worship. So I felt it built really in terms of what we've been talking about over, over recent weeks. I know I followed Matt's word up uh, talking of similar things as well. So it feels that God is speaking to us at the moment about these things and about sort of being pushed out of the nest a bit, about change. And I guess if you interviewed a baby eagle, if you could... Maybe they need to learn to talk first. But if you sat down with the baby eagle and said, how did it feel to get pushed out of the nest? They would probably say things like, well, I, I thought my mum and dad were, didn't love me anymore. I wonder what was going on. Suddenly, all my comfort zone changed and I was just sort of lopped out and I was hurtling towards the ground and I thought I'd had it. And, and suddenly they came and picked me up and it was okay again. And then just when I got back in the nest, I did it again. And, and you find that, I guess, after a while they learn to fly and, uh, and stuff and uh, all is good. But if you asked them at that moment what it was like, what they were going through, it probably wouldn't have been the most comfortable point in their life so far. And it just feels that God is speaking to us about some of these things at the moment. So I don't want to lose it. And uh, I don't know, it's sorry, gone too long, so I don't have time to say what I want to say. But it feels that God is saying something to us. So I guess for all of us, we just need to be ready for God to speak to us. And as he does, not be surprised. And very often as God speaks to us, it feels a bit like, hang on, everything I was had around me has changed. Everything, everything's different now. What's going on? And it's in that season where we really need to trust God. We really need to hang on to God 
Be sure of his promises. Be sure of his faithfulness because that's what brings us through. And think about the baby eagle just finally. Out of this exercise, they learn to fly. I mean, I don't know all of you this morning. Maybe some of you can fly. Maybe some of you sort of stand at the top of the stairs and swoop down. But I suspect for most of us, we walk down. We can't do that. We don't know what it's like. But for the baby eagle, this exercise, they learn to fly. I mean, how great is that? So the end product is absolutely essential to their well-being as an eagle. And as a result, they learn to fly and swoop and everything else, which is wonderful. But the process is difficult and maybe scary at times. But their parents look after them. And we've got a Heavenly Father who will look after us in it as well. Does that make sense? So that's not what I wanted to say, but I didn't really want to lose what I felt God was saying to us uh, in the worship. So I've got a little bit of time left. Okay, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm trusting some of you have. If you'd like to find the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. Well, it seemed like, seems like a long time ago, uh, we were looking at the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And uh, we spent some time looking at the life of Elijah. And uh, then we got into just the very beginning part of Elisha's story, how uh, God uh, makes it clear to Elijah that he's the one to take up the prophetic mantle. And in 2 Kings 2, the beginning part of that, Elisha sees Elijah taken up to heaven. And um, he's left there, and he's left to carry on the, uh, the prophetic role that Elijah has had. And uh, we pick up the story at verse 19. I think it was Tim, wasn't it, who a few weeks ago looked at Elijah being uh, taken up into heaven and uh, how many of the company of prophets wanted to send out sort of, you know, search parties and look for him to see if he'd landed somewhere else. But, you know, it was really clear that God had taken him. So now Elisha is the one who's, who's holding the prophetic mantle. And uh, so we pick up the, the, his, his story, if you like, in verse 19 of 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll read a few verses together. The men of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. Let's pray and we'll have a look at these verses briefly together. Father, we thank you uh, for the uh, recording we have of the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And as we spend a few moments now looking at uh, this occurrence in Elisha's life. We pray you'd speak to us, Lord, that you'd challenge us, you'd uh, make your word come alive to us. And uh, Lord Jesus, we would uh, see you afresh and uh, you would speak to us. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the story's moved on 
and it's evident that the town that's being talked about here is Jericho. We, we see that just in the previous verses. And it seems that Jericho is in a, in a good position, but is, is surrounded or has got a bad supply of water. It's unproductive water. And um, it seems that the people of Jericho here were experiencing uh, really the effects of not following God what uh, commentators would call the covenant curse, which was basically God saying earlier on in the history of the people of God, the, the summary is God saying, that if you obey me, I'll bless you and look after you. My hand will be upon you for blessing. If you don't follow me, then I'm going to remove that hand. And even your, your experience uh, curses that are, are talked about uh, in the law. And so that they, they hadn't followed God's. The people of God were in rebellion against him here. So they weren't experiencing his blessing. They weren't experiencing God's covering hand, looking after them. And uh, one of the situations that was uh, occurred is, is this water problem. And so Elijah comes on the scene and the men of the city bring their problem to Elisha and say, look, this water's bad. What can you do about it? And so Elisha gives some instructions they throw some salt in from this new bowl and the water is miraculously healed. Now Elisha makes it really clear that it's not some magic property of the salt uh, but rather it is God who has acted. And the result is the water's healed and it remains productive, remains wholesome, we're told even uh, to the day that this was written. So this is God acting on behalf of Elisha. God acting on behalf of his prophet. And you might think, well, that's just a bit of a strange story, really. You know, it's a bit, bit odd. Some bad water, Elisha comes along, gets some salt, chucks it in, and lo and behold, the water's fine. You might think, that's a bit strange, isn't it? What, what's, what's going on there? Well, well, the next story we've got in, this, in the account of the life of Elisha is even more bizarre in some ways. We won't, won't read it, but the summary is Elisha wanders off and some youths come and start teasing him about his lack of hair and his baldness. And uh, what happens? Well, Elisha curses the youths and they get mauled by a couple of bears. So maybe those of you who have got receding hairlines, you can, you can try that one if, if people uh, you know, tease you and your lack of hair. And you think, well, what's this about? We've got, first of all, we've got some salt being thrown into the water. Then we've got Elisha wandering off and... These, these youths take the mickey out of him and rather than just walking away, these bears come and maul them. I don't know if any of that has happened to you, if you have some bears act on, on your behalf. You think, this is just strange, isn't it? What's going on? Do you, do you think that is just me? Maybe it's just me. Some of you are thinking, this is quite straightforward in my life. It often happens, <laughs> happens every week. You know, what's your problem? <laughs> this is God acting on behalf of his prophet. It's God showing his power to act on behalf of Elisha. And in both cases, actually, God was acting in line with what he had previously said. The blessings and the curses were given very clearly to the nation of Israel. So they, so they knew what the deal was. There wasn't any grey area here. They knew that if they followed God and were faithful to him, they knew that he would protect them. And they knew that God would have his hand upon them for blessing. 
And they knew too that if they went away from that and rebelled against God, they'd come under his judgment. It was really clear. There wasn't any doubt about this. God had made it abundantly clear to them. And so really God was just acting in line with what he'd said previously. And both of these stories picture that in the account of the water first all being healed, we see that the nation of Israel had moved away from God, weren't experienced his blessing, and Elisha was able to intervene and act. And God mercifully acted on behalf of Elisha, acted on behalf of his people. On behalf of his people. And in the second story, the youths were disrespectful to Elisha, disrespectful to his God, disrespectful to the prophet, and God judged them for it. You see, there was blessing, but there was also judgment. And one of the reasons that these events are recorded for us, commentators say, is that it makes it really clear that Elisha is the successor to Elijah. There's no doubt now, God is with Elisha just as he was with Elijah. So you can read through Elijah's life and see these wonderful accounts of God acting well, now we see that God is really with Elisha. Now, both Elijah and Elisha were powerful in miracles, weren't they? If you read through their lives, you'll see that they moved in the miraculous, often. Now, with Elijah, you had things like fire coming down from heaven. You had the dead being raised. You had food being provided, miraculously. And some of these miracles, again, were replicated in the life of Elisha as well. But all of these miracles do three things. And it's this that I want to just look at for a few moments together. They meet, firstly, an immediate need, for instance, for food or for life or for fresh water, in the case that we looked at. Secondly, they demonstrate God's power. And thirdly, they show us that God is still interested in and active in his creation. So they do, those three things. They meet an immediate need, they demonstrate God's power, and they show that God is still interested in and active in his creation. Now last week we saw some people prayed for, didn't we? As Scott and Barbie were with us, and uh, they had what we would, we would term, given the jargon if you like, a word of knowledge. And basically all that is, is God speaking to someone about a particular individual or situation that he wants to act in, or move in, or bring healing to. And uh, they had four words and four people responded. And it showed us that God is still interested in those people and interested in us. God is still interested in individuals today. And in fact, the miracles that we've heard about, seen in our own lives too, show us the same things. They show us that God meets immediate needs, They show us that God is still powerful and they show us that he's still interested in you and me, interested in his creation. See, God did not not create the world and then go on holiday. It's not that God somehow created the world, sort of spun the earth, got it going and then thought, I'm done now, I'm out of here and just sort of left us to it. Actually, the Bible makes it really clear that the actual opposite is the case. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, the Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. 
That's what that means. If, if Jesus wasn't active, if God wasn't active in creation even now, the whole deal would fall, would fall apart. Jesus is sustaining things by his powerful words. So God didn't just create us and think, well, leave them to it. I'm, I'm sort of off now and uh, just see how they get on, come back in a few thousand years' time and see what's going on. But rather, right from day one, he's still very active in his creation. Even, the Bible tells us, sustaining it by his words. So these words of knowledge that we saw, these healings, are, amongst other things, a sign. They're a sign of God's involvement, a sign of God's power, a sign of his mercy, a sign of his grace. The healing of this water for Elisha was a sign of God's mercy to the people of Jericho. And you know, it's the same with the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels, isn't it? They meet an immediate need, like someone might have been blind, or ill, or dead, or hungry. Probably not dead and hungry, but dead or, or hungry. And they demonstrate God's power. They demonstrate God's involvement in his creation. Don't they? They also often authenticate a message. Often they're a sign of God being with the person that is, has got a message to bring. That would have been true of Elijah and Elisha. It's certainly true of what Jesus did in terms of his miracles. Very often they were a sign showing that God was active and because of that he then went on to explain to the people the God who was active and explain the gospel to them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So we can expect the Spirit's power. Both Elijah and Elisha had a particular calling, a particular anointing during a very critical time of Israel's history. And their job partly was to call people back to God, to call people to repentance a call for faithfulness to God's commands. And that was, that was their job. That's what they had to do. And if you know your biblical history, you'll know that what seemed to happen with the people of God was that uh, <clears throat> they would follow God for a while and then they would go their own way and rebel and God would send them a prophet to say, come back to me and they'd repent and then for a little while they'd follow God again and it all be good and then after a while they'd rebel, go their own way and God would send a prophet again and uh, call them back to himself. And, and so the cycle went on. And it seemed to go on and on. And sometimes God's brought judgment to them. Sometimes other nations were involved in bringing God's judgment to them. But it was a very cyclical thing. But every now and then he would raise up a prophet and they would call the nation back to God. That, were, that was the prophet's job to call the nation back to him to repentance, to faith. It was also his job very often to be God's mouthpiece into situations, particularly to the king. And whilst we might not be God's mouthpiece in quite the same way, we do have a responsibility for God to use us. So even though Elisha and Elisha had a certain responsibility, you and I have a sort of prophetic responsibility personally as well. Sometimes it will be to say something. Maybe a friend is going through a difficult time. You can offer to pray for them. You can offer to, you know, to support them and help them. 
Maybe a friend or a family member is unwell. Again, you can offer to pray for God to break in, for God to heal. Maybe God will give you an encouraging word to bring to someone. And you phone them up and say, I just feel that God wants to encourage you with this. And you bring maybe a passage of scripture to them or another encouraging word. But God doesn't expect us, he doesn't expect you to go round looking to twist every conversation into some spiritual viewpoint. Now, I'm sure you've met Christians who have. You know, you, you make a really straightforward comment, maybe, I don't know, we, we're you know, in, in England, so I guess we talk about things like the weather. So maybe you just say to someone, you make a comment about the weather, and you get back some very bizarre spiritual sort of answer about the weather. You think, well, that's a bit strange. I was only commenting that it was, it was raining. And uh, you say, oh, you think it's raining? Yes, and it's like the rain of the Lord's blessing upon us, brother, isn't it? You know, people say strange things, don't they? They really do. And, and it, I've heard people say that, and, and I think they're strange, and I'm a Christian. So goodness knows how people who don't know Jesus yet think about it. You think, wow, wow, really strange. So it's not that God wants us to try and twist every conversation to, to have a spiritual meaning, but listen, what God is looking for is for you and I to be open enough to the prompting of his Holy Spirit so that when the opportunity does come and he prompts us, we're ready and we can say something useful, we trust, (laughs) that God has prompted us to say. Peter says in his letter, doesn't he, 1 Peter 3 verse 15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So it's always be prepared, not always twist the conversation, but always be prepared. Sometimes it won't be to say something, but to be something. And I think this applies to all of us all the time. Dash and I were at a, a conference just last weekend, and uh, one of the guys speaking was talking about how it used to be for him. He now works full-time for uh, one of our churches. Uh, but previously he used to work in a very high-pressure job, uh, very challenging environment, and um, he, he, he described what it was like for him as a Christian at work. And he said he could have done one or two things. Now, he was in a sort of very high-pressure environment where the time element was critical. He was working in a TV uh, news station, so you know, every hour, every half hour, whatever it was, you know, time was pretty critical, and they had things that had to go out at certain times, and he had to be in his place to bring his reports. And uh, so he didn't have time for somebody to be, you know, getting something ready, and uh, maybe to doing his makeup or or getting the camera ready, whatever it might be, for them to turn around and say, well, actually, just before you do that, can, can I just tell you about Jesus? And I want to tell you about my relationship with God. And, and yeah, the time, you, know, you can imagine the clock ticking away and then thinking, there's no time for this. You know, we, haven't, we can't have that discussion now. And he realised that in his context, he didn't have time for sort of long, protracted discussions with people at work. It just wasn't that environment. Now maybe your work situation is very different and so you're, you're doing something where you do have time for those sort of discussions. But for him, he didn't. And so he realised that rather than look to force those sort of conversations or those discussions, what he decided to do was this. He decided that in his work environment, he could be somebody who worked hard, someone who was a team player, 
Someone who didn't gossip or backbite about his colleagues. Someone who honoured others. And then, when other situations arose, maybe work-related social events, you know, a Friday night uh, a drink in the pub after work or, or maybe a, a wedding of a colleague, when there was more time available, then conversations seemed to happen. And it was then that he found that his lifestyle could back up the words that he spoke at the right time. And if his lifestyle hadn't backed them up, then the words would have been pretty meaningless. Because if he had been somebody who didn't react well under pressure, was always backbiting about his colleagues, not respectful to others, you know, always trying to get his foot on a ladder over and above other people, not working in a team, anything he would have said at those points would have been disregarded. But he realised the best thing that he could do was not try and force every conversation to be speaking for Jesus, but rather by his life to make sure that that honoured God and so that at a later day he could then follow that up with conversations. So I wonder, what's it like for you, maybe in your working environment? Are you known for being honest, being a team player, being someone who's faithful, who's committed, who follows through on their promises, someone who won't entertain those slightly dodgy deals but rather walks away from them. What's it like for you at work? Elijah and Elisha always had miracles to back up their words. And by God's grace, we do too sometimes as well. And we pray for people and God acts. And we want to do that even more and ask God to act even more. But listen, we always have our lifestyle to back up our words. So I want to urge us this morning to be salt and light where God has put us, in whatever situation we find ourselves in. I wonder what it means for you. In your world, whatever that might be, whether it's at work or at home or in university halls or with friends, whatever situation you find yourself in, you can make a difference for God in that environment. And it's not by trying to twist every conversation around, but actually, very often, it's by being salt, being light, being a good team player. So that later when conversations do happen, your lifestyle can back up your words. I mean, think about it for a moment. What does salt do? It preserves, isn't it? It brings flavour. So salt helps preserve things from rotting. I wonder, are you known as somebody who preserves things, who brings flavour? Or are you known as a sort of a miserable, well, you can't do that, Christian? What are you known as? Are you someone who brings life and vitality, flavour to your world? Now, when you walk into a room, does it sort of light up? Not because you're necessarily a smiley person naturally, but there's just something about you that brings God's presence, that brings some joy. You're the sort of person that people want to be around. They're the sort of people that bring salt. Similarly, Light makes a difference, doesn't it? In a dark place, light makes things light, obviously. It makes a difference, doesn't it? If you're in a dark room and you turn the light on, the situation changes, the surroundings change. Light also exposes darkness. So it's a bringing of God into situations. Light makes a real difference. 
Once you switch the light on, darkness goes. So friends, you can make a real difference in your world. You can be Jesus to people. You can bring God's presence into your situation. You can show them what it means to have a life that follows God, one that's full, one that's exciting and vibrant, one that's going somewhere. You can show them what it means to be someone who follows Jesus. And then actually, at some point, you can follow that up with some conversations as well. See, Elijah and Elisha had a prophetic responsibility to call the nation back to God. We have a responsibility as as the church, prophetically as well. We don't have time to look at that this morning. But I want to suggest that for you and I, our prophetic responsibility, much of it is to do with how we live. Much of it is to do with how we are in our everyday life, not just here for two hours on a Sunday morning. But actually, it's about what you're like during the week, be it amongst your friends, your family members, those you live or work with. You can actually make a difference where you are. And your prophetic responsibility is to bring God into those situations. Your responsibility before God is to live the sort of lifestyle that honours him so that actually there will be some conversations that happen. But when they come, your life backs it up. For Elijah and Elisha, as we finish, they were proving God. They were demonstrating his power. They were calling the nation back to him. Now, once upon a time, you could have said that we lived in a Christian country. I don't think you can do that anymore. So we can't call people back to God in the same way. But rather, we can invite them into a life-changing relationship with a life-changing God. And friends, part of the way we do that will be how we live, as well as through what we say. People need to see what it's like to follow Jesus. And you might be the only person they know who does. And so, when the word Christian is used, they may think of you. Maybe they'll think of a very negative connotation they've seen on telly. But when they think of it a bit broader, they think, actually, the only Christian I can think of is such and such. Maybe it's you. So maybe your prophetic responsibility before God is to be Jesus to them. Because they may not get anybody else that shows them what it's like to follow Jesus. They may not know anybody else who has a real, dynamic, life-giving relationship with God. You might be the only one. You can make a difference. You can make a real difference. I want to suggest you can make as much a difference, if not more, than Elisha made with throwing salt into the water, obeying God and God acting on his behalf. The people around him saw that God was with him, saw that God was on him, and uh, knew they had to do something to, to follow God. For us, it's about how we live our lives. And the way you are between now and next Sunday morning actually can make as much difference in someone's life because you might be the person that gets to introduce them to Jesus. Why don't we stand? We're going to pray together as we close.
Lord Jesus, thank you that we've seen in the lives of Elijah and Elisha people who are faithful to you, those who obeyed you. And uh, Lord, by what you did through them, they were able to call the nation back to you. And Lord, by what you do in us, we are able to invite people into a life-giving relationship with you. And so I want to pray for each of us this morning that, Lord, you'd help us in our world, whatever that might be for us, whether it's at work, at home, with family members or friends, whatever situations we find ourselves in this week. Father, I pray you'd help us to live lives that honour you. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would take our prophetic responsibility seriously. Uh, Lord, we'd be able to discharge it. And by the way we live, by not just what we say, but by who we are, we might be able to invite people into a life-giving relationship with you. Father, we want to see you glorified. We want to see your name highly exalted. Lord, we want you to be the the famous one. We want you to be glorified. We want to see many of our friends and relatives come to know you. And we pray you'd help us, uh, Lord, to live lives that honour you. They might see what it's like to be someone who follows Jesus. Lord, we pray you'd help us with these things in Jesus' name. Amen.